Welcome to day two cloud. And today we are talking about cloud security and cloud cost optimization with our new friend, Joe Peterson. She's the VP of cloud and security services over at Clarify 360. And she has some, some new terms to introduce us to Ethan, doesn't she? Do you know what a CSPM, CWPP, CIEM, or CNAPP are? Ned and I didn't. We we faked our way through some guesses, though, with uh, with Joe, which was glorious to sit here as the people who talk cloud all the time, Ned, and she was throwing all kinds of new acronyms at us. Yeah, it's good to know that I haven't learned everything that exists in the cloud. There is still more unexplored. So, much more. so, much more. <laughs> so enjoy learning what all those acronyms mean with Joe Peterson. Welcome to the show, Joe. We're very excited to have you. Could you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, who you are, and what being a VP of Cloud and Security Services entails? Sure thing. Thank you so much for having me, you guys. I'm enjoying uh, my time with you today. So Clarify360 is a consulting firm that works with primarily enterprise clients to source IT services in five areas cloud connectivity, collaboration, security, and software. We work with 11 of the Fortune 500 today, and my team of engineers and I are focused on auditing, benchmarking, and sourcing for projects around cloud, cloud security, and cybersecurity. That's what I do with my day. Okay, so you're in there in the trenches doing the real work instead of us podcasters pontificating from on high. <laughs> so that's good. So uh, let, let's pick your brain a little bit, especially about cloud security. When you're considering cloud security, that could be a pretty broad topic. So what do you mean by cloud to begin with? We'll start with that. Are we talking about big, big just the big three public cloud providers? Are we talking about SaaS offerings, private cloud, or is it just all of the above? So I see your point. Cloud has become a pretty ubiquitous term. And we work mostly with enterprise clients across a number of verticals. So those clients are both hybrid and multi-cloud. And our clients are a microcosm, I think, of the end user landscape at large. I tell folks that as it relates to cloud security, they need to be concerned about east-west traffic and north-south traffic because they affect both of those things that you mentioned. Okay, so when you're talking about east-west in the context of cloud, what what how do you envision that traffic versus north south in the cloud right so so if you think about it you know you've got to be worried about you're worried about user access at the end of the day right that that's what you're worried about you're you're worried about what the people in your organization are using in production now whether it's saas products maybe you guys use a lot of saas products or maybe you use a lot of public cloud how are they connecting to that product? And is what you're using today secure, right? So maybe a VPN, for example, might've worked when you were, everybody was at the office, but post pandemic, everybody's working at home. So maybe you wanna think about replacing an older technology that is more concerned with the device than the user, right? So think about that thing. Think about maybe not, you know, because there's lots of cool tools out there in the marketplace, but think about what's going to be most impactful for your users and how they're getting to the, the stuff that they need to get their stuff done, their work done in a day. So are you positioning the users as north-south traffic or east-west? How does that work in your mind? 
you know, I'm positioning the user. It depends, right? It depends if you're, if you're, it depends where your workloads are. If you're old school, if you have some of your stuff in a data center, right? And you're looking at north south traffic, right? And so users are going into the data center for, say, your ERP system because that's still sitting in your data center. Well, that's one thing you've got to be worried about that traffic. But then you have a number of SaaS applications like a payroll application or a timekeeping application that are that you're using that are in the cloud, then you've got to think about how am, how are they getting to these workloads and are they secure? So that's kind of how we approach it or I think about it because I want to give you the biggest bang for your buck with your security dollar. I don't want to think about how you're spending it because and, and has and you know your your end users are going to be one of the the things that you've got to lock down the most. Hmm. Well let's let's position cloud security as compared to on-premises security. So I've done a lot of on-premises security work over the years. Put in my share of firewalls, intrusion prevention systems, DLP, you name it. And all these different security solutions come in at different points, solving different problems, defense in depth, all of that. If I'm used to that kind of a security model, that on-premises way of thinking, Joe, what's different when I move into cloud security? A lot's different. I want you to reframe it in terms of the shared responsibility model, right? And the shared responsibility model is going to depend upon not only the cloud provider, but the product within the cloud provider. Has is different than IS, right? You've got to think about what are they going to take care of and really know that, kind of have that burned in your brain. What am I supposed to take care of? People think, and wrongly that it goes into the cloud and it's all safe and it is all safe except you're responsible for your data they're not you are right and people forget that and and it's getting better and there's been lots more emphasis put on um bad data that you are responsible for but i think people still get fuzzy now, AWS is really good about that shared security model. They've got their guidelines and their documents that help you with that. Uh, is that kind of how you direct people? You know, march them towards what the cloud provider suggests for their shared security model and go from there? Yeah, but it gets hinky. And why it gets hinky is nobody's just in one cloud, hmm. right? Most companies, even public cloud, you talk to them and you're like, oh, yeah, you know, we have a lot of workloads in AWS or Azure, but we do have some in the other guy, right? And then we might have some more in another guy. And then I'm like, okay, well, you know, do you have any legacy systems of record that you're using? Oh yeah, we've got some of those too. We Everybody still have an AS5, you know? <laughs> and you're like, well, okay. So how are you approaching? And what I see happen is, I see a couple of things happen. I see silos happen. So the team that takes care of the on-premise security is different than the team that takes care of the cloud security, and maybe they're not talking. Mm. And what I'm saying is that people don't think about securing the footprint holistically sometimes. They think about it as a silo approach. Why that happens, don't know, but it does. Right. So security is might be siloing it. You have these different independent teams, one working on prem. And even within security, you've got silos sometimes. You got the team managing the firewalls, another one that's in charge of the SIM, and this one takes care of user access. But users don't care about any of that. No. Nope. See, everything is no, these are just the apps that I use. I don't care right. where they are. 
So it, do you think like security at a high level needs to take the same approach that the users are of looking at the whole landscape instead of just like individual silos? Yeah, that's what I was trying to say earlier, and I didn't do it as nicely as you just did. It's all about the user. It is. It, and it's about, it's not only just about the user, but user is a broad term too, just like cloud is, mm. right? So how, I had this really smart CIO say to me a couple of weeks ago, I'm concerned about the user experience. And I'm like, define user for me. And he said, well, that's my internal users and my external users, right? And so his approach is, Everything starts with that user, whoever that air quote user is. And I'm going to build around that user. And I think that sometimes it's, that's a simple way to do it. But if you think about where does your company's revenue come from and how are you the most productive and then work backwards from that and solve the security instead of, well, I know I need to secure my firewall and I know if you reverse engineer the problem, right, from the user perspective, like you're saying, I think you get maybe a different answer. Right. Instead of just going, following an architecture blindly, yes. that we've followed for the last 20 years, here's an opportunity to shake things up and take a different perspective. And cloud might be the kicker uh, yep. that forces us to do that. Right. Now, since we've been talking about the different tools that a traditional on-prem would use. There's also a lots of cloud tools. Some of them are native to a particular cloud, but as you sort of mentioned, most people are doing multi-cloud. And I hear all these terms thrown out. Um, I'm sure listeners have heard stuff like ZTNA, DLP. A new one to me was XDR, which I still am not entirely sure what it stands for. So like, what are some of the more popular solutions, especially in the context of multi-cloud? And what do they actually mean? Oh, you are in for a treat. Oh boy. If you like if you like tech acronyms just like I do. Okay, you ready? I'm going to roll out five of them for you. And Okay. And this is going to be a test, you guys. Okay? <laughs> All right. The first one, I know y'all both know. It's CASB. Okay? Cloud Access Security Broker. It's been around for a while, y'all know it. Um CSPM which one of you want to take a guess? Cloud security protocol manager. You are so close, almost <laughs> winner, winner of the chicken dinner. Um, cloud security posture management. Oh, okay. All right. Here, here's the next one. Ethan, it's your turn. CWPP. I got nothing, Joe. <laughs> That's a new one to me. <laughs> cloud workflow protection platform. I got two more and then I'm going to talk about them a little bit. Okay. Just yeah. because we're nerding out here. Um, it's your turn, Ned. C-I-E-M. C-I-E-M. Cloud interchange event manager. You were close. Cloud infrastructure entitlement management. Okay. I do the last one, no Ethan, is for you. You ready? I'm ready. All Bring right. It. C N A P P. 
Oh, uh, cloud network um, uh, permissions posturing. I just, I'm making stuff up. I have no idea. Right. <laughs> cloud native application protection platform. You're close. Oh. All right. No, I wasn't, so, but thank you. <laughs> you're close. Okay, so let's, let's roll through them real quick. Um, so cloud access security broker, again, that's been around for a while. It's a tool that encapsulates your on-campus or cloud-hosted security solutions. It can be both physical and digital solutions. Um, which and it functions as a stopgap and gateway between users and cloud services, right? Um, CSPM tools focus on controlling access to cloud infrastructure tools deployed and employed by an organization. These tools are relevant for organizations in the process of migrating their operations to a cloud service. CWPP. Um, these are enterprise workload focused cloud cloud platforms that offer protection for both physical and digital assets, including containers, that's important, virtual machines and serverless workloads, right? Because container security is its own thingy. Mm -hmm. um, thingy being the technical term. <laughs> um, SEM is a cloud security solution that excels at managing the complicated security situation that identity and access management creates. Yay. Um, SEM tools are focused on the identity lifecycle and and access governance tools, which are intended to reduce unnecessary entitlements and enforce least privilege access. And then my favorite new one is the CNAP. So it's a platform, right? It combines the cloud security posture management, workload protection, infrastructure entitlement, and CIDC and CICD security. So the, the stuff that happens in the pipeline Mm -hmm. um, into this unified end-to-end -end solution. So you're seeing tools come together and mature into a platform, and you're seeing that happen in other security tools as well, right? Instead of single standalone tools, you're getting you're starting to get these platforms that do more. Right. So it's something that we have seen with security tools on mm -hmm. other platforms where you start out with a tool that does one thing, but you soon you realize that you it's not a tool, it's just a feature that should be part of a larger tool yeah. or application. And so it just gets yeah. folded into other things. Yeah. I think we saw that with Casby used to be a bunch of different things that all just kind of rolled into one yeah. in one suite of products to control access to the cloud. Right, and you're starting to see, so you think about it, right? These these startups come into the market and they they solve a problem. And then the space matures a little bit and you start to get, you know, a combination of tools happening and then tools sort of like CASB, you know, depending upon the provider that you're looking at today is now it's being leveraged as part of a SASE model, mm. right? So you're starting to see these other things happen, like networking and cloud come together, for example. Yeah. Uh, this is horrifying. I mean, it's wonderful, Joe, uh, it's, but it's also horrifying. <laughs> As a guy who's been a part of so many different security initiatives where, oh, we're going to buy the new thing and we're going to roll out. It's going to be great. Yeah. Life's going to be awesome. We're going to be all so secure and we spend all this money and it's painful and yeah, and so on. Uh, is this going to be an explosion of tools? I mean, how do I rationalize all of this tooling? Because it sounds like you're talking about, well, I don't know if we're talking about more tooling or is just like a reorganization of tooling, but it does feel like there's more tooling based on all these new acronyms you just shared with us. Well, look at there's a chance to make money in the space, right? <laughs> They're always so. <laughs> if you th I mean, think about it, right? We were talking about the root 
situation. Security budgets are increased and that's a good thing, but that draws in the folks, you know, that are, that are creating them and, or companies that, you know, see a chance to expand market share into an area that maybe they were adjacent to before. Right. So you see lots of adjacency happening, <clears throat> pardon me in this space, but let's talk about it. You know, I mean, yes, are we overtooled? You could argue that we are, but I think that, you know, in terms of your rationalization question, I think it's a good idea for everybody to benchmark or rationalize once a year to see what they have, because I'll go into an organization and I might see a couple different of the same thing, mm -hmm. right? Somebody's mm -hmm. so this business unit has this SEM and this business unit has that SEM and these guys have that endpoint device and these guys have, and they're all the same company. And you're like, well, wait a second, are you guys not talking to each other? Mm -hmm. You know, and so I think it's a good, it, it's a good business move to sort of sit and talk about what tools you have and how you can unify those tool sets. Um, I think that, you know, most of the teams I'm talking to right now, their budgets are tightening. So um, going beyond sort of a maturity assessment, a tech rationalization analysis um, can, can provide sort of a dollar sense of where things are at in your environment. And maybe it's a chance to combine things together. Does that sort of answer your question? Yeah. The, the tricky bit about different BUs buying different tools of their own is because of what their budget source is. And very often those aren't mm -hmm. easily reconciled. Yeah, it'd be more practical if everybody was playing off the same sheet of music, so to speak. But uh but there is a, it can be difficult to, for everyone to get together and on the same page about that until you get the right business stakeholders involved that can see the budget from a higher level and where funds are being allocated. It, but it also depends on the kind of a group that you're working with. Government or maybe a, a higher ed and they got very particular funding sources. It's not always practical to consolidate in that way because of how the accounting is done. But um but, and then it's just the the practical nature, Joe. I don't know how hard it is when you uh, start working with folks, but getting these different departments together, they don't talk a lot of times. They're just operating in their own little siloed worlds. Yeah. It has to come from up top, right? It really does. I have a large travel company that I work with that grew through acquisition <clears throat> and did a lot of acquisition. Mm -hmm. And to your point, upper management realized that as they were folding in all these companies, everybody had different stuff. Mm -hmm. So they finally had to take a stand and say, and they did because they knew that they'd grown through very rapidly through acquisition. Hey, let, let's sort of streamline and get everybody on the same page. And that's that really what it takes. I had a similar experience. I was working with a mortgage finance company that had gone through rapid acquisition of other companies and they ended up building what was essentially an M&A tech team. And that M&A tech team's job was to quickly assess the new company, what technologies they had in place, and then come up with a migration or rationalization plan for all of it. And I was lucky enough to help them build that and um, learn a lot about active directory certificate services, which that's a whole like 12 podcasts on its own. We don't need to get into that. But yeah, I mean, the, the whole concept there was 
they acknowledge that if we're going to keep adding companies, we need we need a way of rapidly doing that and doing it in a way that keeps our operating costs down. Um, did the acquired companies throw some fits about it? Absolutely. They were not happy to leave their tools behind and embrace whatever the new tooling was. But um, because they were the acquired, they didn't usually have a choice. And if you make <laughs> enough noise, that's how you get fired. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? We do lots of work. We, we do work with the holdings of two big private equity firms. And the private equity wants to do all the things you just talked about, Ned. But they also have the high level agenda of selling this business off in three to five years. That's sort of a general time. And what can happen is you can find holes, right? We walk in and, and we're asked to look for things that aren't there that can cost them money. Like, oh, maybe you do a lot of business on the web, but you don't have a WAF. Oh, that's a problem, right? So then that becomes a risk conversation. And I think that that's sometimes easier to sell upstairs. I think if it's going to affect revenue, right, mm-hmm. it could be an, have a negative impact on revenue. Then, then the guy with the purse strings or the gal with the purse strings understands that. So I, I ask people to look at that in terms of the argument that they're making. One of my pet peeves is we do a great job, great job creating technicians, right, out of, out of tech schools but we don't teach them to talk about the business side of the tech that they have and what it's going to do for the business, you know, and, and that's a conversation. Yeah. The most effective it uh, liaisons or managers or whatever you want to turn them were the ones who understood the connection between right. what their team does and the business value they deliver to, to the larger business. So let's yep. say, hypothetically that you know i'm a CISO at an organization um, i've just been brought on and i'm now faced with implementing or assessing cloud security where should i even start because you've painted a pretty broad picture of like five different product categories uh, that that four of which were completely new to me so <laughs> where should i start my journey um i get this a lot i get a lot of new CISOs that want to make their mark, right? And they're professionals and they all know this. You know, fix the end users first. If you've got if you've got budget, make sure that your end users are nailed down. Hmm. Right? Because that the, the, that just does. And then start thinking about what's not working. So CISO at a big software company that I know, um, their job is to make software for mobile firms, right? They're the they're the white sort of label of these apps that you see on mobile phones. And the their job is to get that software out there and update it and all that stuff. And they had a tool that was like, you know, 1999 called and won its tool back <laughs> around looking at around looking at the at this that the code. It literally gave them a red, green, yellow right sort of and that was the extent of whether uh, of their code of of how safe the code was Mm. and right and how secure the code was and he knew this is going to be revenue impacting so the first thing i need to look at is the tools that are going to affect my revenue right how can i make 
whatever I do is my day job, what we do is our company's job, right? Our revenue stream. How can I make that better, faster, quicker? Those are the things that, you know, of course you need to, you need to contain network access. Of course you need to implement logging and monitoring. Uh, of course you need to do threat modeling. You need to do all that stuff. But if you've got a limited budget and a limited time to show results, right? Fix what you, you use your, your revenue to fix end user stuff first, because hmm. you're going to find lots of problems there. And then fix what can affect your product second. Those would be the two best quick pieces of advice I'd give. Maybe not what you'd hear from another security person, but I'm more drenched in the reality of the business outcomes as it relates to security. And that's the conversations that I have. Well, the, the flip side of this would then be there's a downturn in the economy. Cloud spending is going to be reduced, let's say, and you already mentioned that in this uh, in this episode, budgets are being uh, cut somewhat for folks. So when we were prepping for this call, you you didn't want to phrase it that way. You said cost optimization was really the way to think about it. So expand on that thought. Yeah, it's a balance between um, finance and IT, right? It's getting everybody on the same page. Um, the Linux Foundation has a FinOps group, right? And it is, they do such a good job of talking about both sides of the equation. I'd highly recommend for folks to go check it out. Um, it's not just about shaving cost. It's about balancing performance, cost, compliance, security, and everybody gets in the boat and everybody has a voice. And that's how you really make change. If you think about cloud maturation, right, and that journey, you're not even going to get to some of the more advanced services that you could be using unless you get the basics right. If you keep automating, but you're automating the wrong VMs, the wrong, you know, the wrong T-shirt size, you keep producing the wrong T-shirts. It's that easy, right? So everybody's got to get on the same page. But how do you get finance on the same page as IT? And I ask that because there's different alignments. IT has a specific alignment for security or whatever the objective is. Uh, the, the thing that they're trying to accomplish that tends to be more from a technical perspective to help the business do what it does. Finance very often has an alignment to reduce costs. IT is a cost center. I don't want you to spend that much. Can you spend less, please? And so those are not, that's not the same page. They're having different conversations. How do you get those two folks aligned? It, you know what? It takes executive stewardship. It has to come from the top. Let's go back to the software company. Their job is to produce software right? That's how they make money. If everybody sits at the same table and goes, look, it's really important that we deliver to our clients on time. Here's the way we're going to do it. And each of us is going to have to flex. But, you know, the optimization part of it lets you better forecast. So finance doesn't get their panties in a bunch. You're doing a better job forecasting what you're going to spend and that sort of backs them off a little bit right so it, it's about everybody giving and taking a little bit about what the goal of the organization is well you said executive stewardship too uh, in, in your response there to me that's a big part of it you've got to have one or two people 
that have some influence over both organizations see the big picture and know how to get these two groups in a room to to align their viewpoints and begin to dialogue in that context rather than their own initial uh, myopic alignments. Yeah. The So one thing that I dealt with a lot in the early days of cloud was the finance department was very upset that it, we couldn't accurately predict what the spending was going to be. And... <laughs> Because of that, it was very frustrating for them when they were trying to do budgeting. And before it was like, you knew what you were gonna spend on the data center more or less from a power cooling and then CapEx spend every year. So that was pretty easy to budget for. And okay, we're on a three-year cycle for our servers and a five-year cycle for our network gear or whatever it was. So you could you kind of figure that out and depreciate things. And, and now you can predict like, what's coming next cl with CloudMed. It's just, it's, you know, we spent on premises. Now we're gonna spend more. That's all you need to know. <laughs> yeah, triple that, roughly. <laughs> so one of the things that I, I think that cost management has in common with security is a certain amount of what I would call situational awareness. Like as the IT department, I not only need to know how things are configured from a security standpoint, but how are things configured from a cost perspective and how can I optimize for that? So a lot of monitoring kind of ties into that. So are there like tooling or processes that you see are that are common between the security conversation we were having and the finance conversation we're having now? Yes. Um, and short, short answer is yes. Let me give you an example. And we're going to talk about tools later, I think, but there's a couple of tools that I can think about on the market right now that gives everybody their win. Are you familiar with the term with them? What's in it for me? No, that's right? me. It's, like it's, <laughs> it's, it's how you got to think about the problem, right? So there's a, there's one tool that I'm thinking about on the market that does cloud cost optimization, right? So it, you know, it will save 15 to 20%, right? Um, and it does it across multiple clouds, but it also has built-in tooling that will do ad hoc and uh, security reporting. So let's say you're an insurance company and you're constantly being asked by your customers for security checks because that's what they do, right? That's what happens in certain organizations. How can everybody at the table win? Well, if I'm the cloud architect, and I know about this tool, but I want finance to cough up for it. I'm going to think about the win to them, which is cost savings. But the win to me is I can just pull reports for my customers instead of having my guys spend lots of time trying to figure out, you know, okay, go back and reinvent the wheel each and every time. So the folks that make these tools are getting smarter about making wins for everybody at the table. And that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. I was working with a cost optimization tool and this was like five years ago. So it's been a while. And they actually started adding security scanning features back then to their tooling because they just realized that we're already scanning everything that's in your cloud right. environment. And while we can't go into the guts of your VM and see what applications you have installed and everything, we can at least tell you that you have port 22 open on your exactly. servers to the world. And maybe that's like bad. You should fix that. <laughs> right. So it's it's an automation and you're getting 
at the end of the day, you're getting something for your customer quicker and you're not using as many junior engineer hours to go run this stuff down, right? So it's a win for everybody. Mm -hmm. Where are we at with um, getting better answers out of cost optimization tools? And uh, maybe the context here, Joe, is AI. Does AI, which is all the rage these days and every startup that wants to get funded just needs to throw some AI into that presentation and the VCs are gonna stand up and salute is there anything happening that's going to make cost optimization more automated? And, I, and I, I, it was kind of a sarcastic question, but I do mean it sincerely. Yeah. So here's the challenge. You're almost going to have to have a tool if you have multiple clouds, right? You just have to. And, and here's why. Native tools work fine. Um, but the problem is that, you know, when you have multiple clouds, um, you, you don't have a pane of glass to look across both clouds. And so you have to think about how much time do I have and where do I spend it, right? Um, you know, and you buy an off-the-shelf tool that will do both mm -hmm. for you. And I think that's probably a better use of time. Um, you know, native tools are great. You've got to use how understand how to use them. And, and AI is is starting... You're seeing it more in security, baked into the security tools, but I'm sure it's coming. Mm -hmm. it, it feels like if you could train an AI model correctly, there's enough confusion to be introduced to a human in the form of all the different parameters that you're considering that, that deal with cost optimization. Things fluctuate over time. There's a lot of patterns that aren't going to be evident to a human that might be evident to an AI model. So it feels to me, Joe, like there's a lot of room for AI here to, to actually provide value. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the goal is automation, right? And, and the goal is scaling faster. Mm -hmm. So we're gonna see it. We just haven't yet, we're, but we're gonna see it. Yeah, one of the things that I was working on recently was developing scaling policies for virtual machines and developing a good scaling policy is actually really difficult. Mm -hmm. Understand user patterns and ramp up time and how much capa excess capacity in case of VM failures. And there's, there's a lot of components that go into it. And I really wish I could just point like an AI can and add it and be like, look at the usage patterns. Tell me what the best scaling policy is. Go. <laughs> yeah. And there are scaling tools out there but they're still pretty expensive. Yeah. Complex slash and or expensive, right? So you're right. So it sounds like uh, there's a market opportunity there. Yeah, <laughs> or maybe. Hey, creators, know. are you listening to us? <laughs> You'd almost be surprised that the cloud vendors themselves haven't developed those robust tools, but in a sense, um, scaling down is not in their best interest. Right. So maybe they don't want to develop that tool. Well, you know, it's funny though that you say that because it depends on how, on how you look at the problem and back to the WIFM thing, right? So the hyperscalers understand that we're in a financially tough year mm -hmm. and they are figuring out ways to grow their spend. And here's how they're doing it. They're going to the cloud architects and they're saying, look, if you know your bill's a dollar a month, 
And I can show you with the native tools how to save 20 cents on that dollar. That frees you up to do other things, right? You can you have all these backlog log of projects that you're getting heat on from finance because they don't have any more money to spend. Right. So it depends upon how you structure that and look at the problem. If you can help people save money so that they can get their other things going, that's great. And also another thing to mention is that all the hyperscalers have programs right now um, where they're giving pro-serve dollars through certain CSPs to um, do ben benchmarking, design, and migration. And they're given, some of them are given big dollars to do those things. So they're trying to help customers to optimize so that they can spend more. And that's the, really the way to approach it. So what would a program like that look like from the client perspective? Would I be getting consultants directly from Microsoft or, or one of the big cloud providers looking at my on-prem workloads and helping me prepare them for migration? Is that kind of the idea? Yeah. Well, so they're not doing it themselves. They've partnered with, with designated CSPs, right? But it's free money. It is beautiful client free pro serve money hmm. that will help you. And they're usually three buckets. There's a, there's a, benchmarking sort of, hey, this is what we've got. There's a design bucket and then there's a migration bucket. I mean, that's really, you know, shorthand for what's going on, but there's pro serve dollars out there, boys and girls, for grabbing. <laughs> Related to all this spending, there's been a lot of talk over the last year, year and a half, Joe, about cloud repatriation. We can do it cheaper if we bring it back in-house, and so we're doing that. And there's been some very very public engineering discussions about how that's being done and so on. Are you hearing much about that? Is that just a few noisy people that have done that that are having success there? Or is cloud repatriation a, a, a bigger deal among your client base too? You know, you've got two, we've talked about it, right? We've got two really impactful things coming together right now. We've got an economic downturn and um, you know, maybe as a natural progression, or maybe it's just happening because the bills have gotten so big, the CFOs are going, whoa, I'm spending what in the cloud? Wait, hey, ho, what is that? Um, and one of the OGs in the cloud space, David Linthicum, I'm sure you've heard of him, who I'm lucky enough to call a friend. He wrote this really great article on the topic this year for InfoWorld. And he said something that I thought was kind of interesting. He said that High cloud bills are rarely the fault of the cloud providers. They're often self-inflicted, love that, by enterprises that don't refactor applications and data to optimize cost efficiencies. So they take it and they shift it. They lift and shift without refactoring. And then they're wondering why the bill's crazy, right? Because folks are not taking advantage of native capabilities, such as the stuff we talked about, auto-scaling, security, storage management, right? They don't have the storage set up correctly. Um, so yeah, some some organizations are taking applications back on premise, um, but I would say to companies, why did you go to the cloud in the first place? What business problem were you trying to solve? And are you solving that problem by taking it back on prem? That's what I asked them to think about. Yeah, kind of go back to first principles. Yeah. What are you trying to solve? Because, yeah, I also have seen plenty of companies just 
evacuate their data set, data center or portions of it, shove those same virtual machines that they were running on VMware up in Azure or AWS and create the same network that they had in their data center and just keep running that way and not actually improve the operation of what they're doing. Guess what? When you move it back on prem, that's not actually going to improve anything. Right. You're just back where you started. Right. You're back where you started. All right. Well, this has been a fascinating conversation. I, I wish we could dig into each of those weird acronyms that you introduced. And maybe that's a future episode where we need to have you back on to really kind of peel the layers back on that. Because there were, like I said, out of the five you introduced, I heard of one. <laughs> so any um, key takeaways or last thoughts you have for our listeners, either in terms of cloud security or the whole cost optimization in the cloud conversation? Um, you know, I think we did a pretty good job covering it. Um, and I think you guys asked some really great questions. So thanks for having me on today. Yeah, absolutely. If, if folks want to follow you, are you active on Twitter? You have a blog you'd like to point them to or something like that? Absolutely. Um, they can follow me on LinkedIn. They can follow me on Twitter at Clear Tech Today. And I have a new YouTube podcast where I talk about, oh, guess what? cloud security with hyperscalers and some of the native tools. I'm starting out with the native tools that each of them have, and there's a ton of them. So there's lots of good content. If you feel overwhelmed by what's available or you're just not sure what's available. So check out my YouTube channel, Clear Tech Research. Awesome. Well, Joe Peterson, thank you so much for being a guest today on Day 2 Cloud. And hey, listeners out there, high fives to you, virtual high fives to you for tuning in. If you have suggestions for future shows, we would love to hear them. You can hit either of us up on Twitter at Day2CloudShow or fill out the fancy request form on Day2Cloud.io. If you like engineering-oriented shows like this one, visit packetpushers.net slash subscribe. All of our podcasts, newsletters, and websites are there. It's all nerdy content designed for your professional career development. Until next time, just remember, cloud is what happens while IT is making other plans. <laughs>